0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. And we are here to put a bow on our uh, series of re-watching classic games or looking back at classic teams throughout college baseball. Uh, recent history, I guess, we, we've been doing it kind of over the last 30 years, mostly relying on games that Joe found on YouTube. And, you know, it's, it's a, a series that has kept us company, I guess, uh, kept us busy during the, the shutdown and during what was supposed to be the, uh, the, the championship season, I guess, as it were. Uh, but that is, that is over now. You know, they should have crowned a champion in Omaha this week. And so with that, we're, uh, we're going to bring this series to a close, but we're not going to do that. Uh, Without looking back on everything and kind of reflecting on what Joe and I have learned through our our trip through some college baseball history here, Uh, so Joe, it's uh, this whole project was your idea from the start, and you went out and and found all of the games on YouTube, Uh, and and, so it it was uh, it was kind of your your thing from from the get go. But you know, I know we've both had a lot of fun going back and, and watching some of these older games and. And you know, just having a chance to talk about some baseball stuff during a time when there was no new baseball being played for us to, to focus on.
1: Yeah, you putting that um, that this series kind of kept us company, I think, is a really good way to put it. Because I can remember with you know version 1.0 of this list, because we put out two separate lists. That the first one, I remember putting it together in the literal aftermath of the season getting canceled and it it really was kind of, um, I don't know, coping mechanism is probably too too strong a way to put it. But I think there was something to that where it was kind of like what I thought my spring was going to look like had just completely changed overnight. And it was a kind of way to say, okay, well, you know, there there's some stuff out there that, you know, a lot of these YouTube games were games that I had stumbled across before and just really hadn't had the time to go back and watch, you know, or, or maybe it, it was more just that, once the season's over, you're kind of ready to move on. And then you want to take a little break from it before you know it, you're you're back at it. So just for one reason or another, it was a lot of games that I'd earmarked that I hadn't gotten around to. And so this was kind of a way to say, okay, you know what? Like this sucks. The season has canceled. There's just no way around that. But here's, you know, some some games that I've wanted to watch that I'm interested in. There's still some interesting stuff to to watch and and talk about here. So it really did keep us company. I think that's a really good way to put it. It's it's also just one of those deals where this was a skill I did not know would necessarily transfer. You never know what skills are, are going to transfer. I don't even know if I'd call it a skill, but something that I just had not assumed would turn into uh, reasonably good content for the site and for the podcast because, like I said, these were a lot of games that I had already come across. And I, I've spent hours of my life just kind of going through YouTube looking for old games, old highlight packages, you know, um, things like that just of of old college baseball games. And so I kind of had this little mental library of what was already out there, but this kind of spurred me to look even deeper and try even harder. And as often as I found something interesting on page one or two of a specific search result on YouTube, I just as often was on page like eight and found something interesting. And it just goes to show that, you know, you do some digging, there's there's some cool stuff out there from a college baseball perspective, even if there's not as much out there as there is with college football or college basketball. I mean, my goodness, I, I presume, given the, how those sports are televised, you could find just about any college football or basketball game you want on YouTube. Baseball is a little bit harder, so that's, I guess, part of what made this fun in some way. The other thing that was kind of interesting about this list is how often uh, I heard, like, criticism is not necessarily the right way to put it, but people, I would put this list out and people would comment on it. Well, what about this game? Or what about that game? And I just I had to be like, well, th- that wasn't on YouTube. This is not a list of like the greatest games of all time. This is, I mean, if you can produce this game on YouTube, I will happily put it on the list. But I can't just magically make these games appear. I don't, I don't have this. Or if thing.
0: you could just like Dropbox it to us. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. If you, and I think I actually gave that advice to several people that commented along that. And a lot of them were well-meaning comments. I don't think anybody was really like, outraged by it but there were always like these suggestions what about this game well hey man if you can find it please send it to me and we will put it on our next list we will happily do so and so that that was kind of funny as i just think there was i don't know if was misunderstanding over what we were doing or maybe that was just a way of making conversation about the list was to to throw suggestions out there i don't know but that was something i had not anticipated so i'm um, happy to kind of be wrapping it up this way because i think there's a lot of as much as anything else i think there's a little bit of some loose ends that I've been thinking about since we've been doing this series that we can get into today, but also just to kind of reflect on what this series, what this series was kind of the larger lessons we learned, what ties these games together. Um, You know, I'm sure you and I could go on for hours about that kind of stuff, but we won't, but it'll be nice to be able to give it a, a send off, if you will.
0: Yeah, so let's uh, just kind of review which games uh, that that we hit on here so that everyone knows which ones they have to go back and listen to or watch so that you can get the whole series in. Uh, But just as a reminder, we started with the 95 National Championship game. uh, That was Fullerton in USC, and we talked about that with uh, then Fullerton ace, now USC pitching coach, Ted Silva. Uh, We had the 2018 Oxford Regional Final. That was Tennessee Tech and Ole Miss. And we talked about that with Matt Braga, then Tennessee Tech coach, now Rice coach. The 94 national championship game, that was Oklahoma against Georgia Tech. And we talked about that with uh, then Oklahoma player, Eric Thomas, Oklahoma outfielder, Eric Thomas. Now Florida softball assistant coach, Eric Thomas. The 2006 Lincoln Regional uh, opener between Manhattan and Nebraska, and we talked about that with then-Manhattan ace, now-Manhattan pitching coach Chris Cody, who out-dueled Jabba Chamberlain that day, spoiler alert. Uh, The 92 National Championship game, that was Pepperdine, uh, and we talked about that with uh, then Pepperdine All-American Steve Rodriguez, and now the Baylor coach. 2011 College World Series game between South Carolina and Virginia. Talked about that with Gamecocks ace Michael Roth. Um, 2018 Gainesville Super Regional. That was Auburn against Florida. And we talked about that with Florida outfielder Austin Laneworthy. Still Florida outfielder Austin Laneworthy in fact. 2013, Raleigh Super Regional, uh, Rice and North Carolina State. Talked about that with Elliot Avent, then and now the North Carolina State coach. The 2000 College World Series and just the run that the Raging Cajuns had with assistant coach Anthony Babineau. 2018, Athens Regional Final. That was Georgia and Duke, and we talked about that with Duke coach Chris Pollard. And then just this last week, I uh, talked with John Manuel, former college beat writer at Baseball America and editor in, uh, and numerous other things. I uh, talked, talked with him about the rise of rice culminating in the Owls National Championship in 2003. So that's, that's kind of the rundown. Now, Joe had put together two lists of 10 games. So that's you know, 20 games altogether that, that were on that lit on those lists. Obviously we didn't do all of them. And, you know, like we said, there were many more that, you know, we were trying to find, couldn't find, or, you know, just didn't make a list. So, you know, the, there are plenty more that that we could have and would have liked to do. Um, you know, we're still interested in, in, in you know, looking back at, at some of these, I know that personally, I really wanted to, uh see the 91 Creighton team. That's a team that you hear a lot out in Omaha about, obviously for for obvious reasons, you know, with them being kind of the home team, the literal home team in the college world series that year. And so I I thought that would have been a fun one to look back on, but unfortunately uh, the Creighton stuff only appeared very late in the process. So we'll, we'll uh, probably look back at that at, at some future date, but that, that was kind of a, uh, a miss for me Joe I know I know I'm going out of order now but why don't we just hit some of the other games uh, that we didn't get to uh, on the list you know the another very obvious one that was on the list that we didn't touch on was the 96 national title game that's the one where Warren Morris hits the walk off for LSU against Miami Against spoiler alert Um, we didn't do that one it would have been fun to do but there's a whole literal uh, documentary about about it that the SEC network and ESPN did. So, you know, going back, you know, they they did a whole thing on it. I, I don't know that we could have outdone them on that. So that, that's one of the reasons we never got around to doing that, that 96 national title game.
1: Yeah, it turned out to be a little more crowded space in, in some cases because you had that and, and that's just a really well documented game in general. And then we also debated at one point, you know, 2018 super regional between Mississippi State and in Vanderbilt but you know Jake Mangum who has gotten a little bit into the, the media game a little bit especially during this pandemic and they he was involved in some project that was going over that game so well we felt like we really couldn't couldn't do that one so there were a couple instances of that what's funny is I think the listeners obviously won't know this because I don't think we ever mentioned it or promised it or teased it on air but the 05 Texas Baylor College World Series game has essentially been on deck this entire time and there were a couple of reasons for that one just being and I think this is part of by the way what makes this game such an interesting one and so great in a lot of ways is it's not exactly like there are some of these these rosters where we had all kinds of options whether it's players who are now coaches or players who you know, went on to pro careers where they're, you know, they're out there and doing media availability, things like that. Like these were not those types of rosters. And so there weren't just a ton of obvious options for guests. And of course, um, you know, unfortunately, Augie Garrido is no longer with us. So like, you know, he was clearly not an option. And so we, you know, uh, we kind of ran dry there. It was also just to be aware every time it felt like we were going to come around to doing that game, we kind of got a different idea and we're like, oh yeah, we could definitely do that. I mean, um, so that was a game that probably, you know, three or four weeks in a row, we thought maybe is what we were moving on to and we just never did. So there was, there was that one. Um, That game has a good ending too. Chance Wheelis who'd been battling an injury hits a big home run for Texas to, to beat, to beat Baylor. So that was just a fun game there. The other one that really stands out to me is, 91 Clemson, Long Beach State, which was on my second list. And that's not a particularly good game. I think Teddy in particular would have hated that game. It's a high-scoring elimination game.
0: Part of the reason we didn't do it. (laughs) Right. And,
1: you know, that one too was a little bit tough. I looked
0: at that game. I looked at the box score from that game. And I was like, nah, I don't know about this one, Joe.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It also would have been tough because it's a game from 91, you know. Um, So tracking people down from those is is tough. So... But I think that would have been a game not too dissimilar from the 2000, you know, ULL San Jose state game. Although that turned out to be a better game than I think I had imagined it would be. But that one was, we, we we talked about that game as basically just a way to talk about that 2000 Cajuns team. And I think had we done 91 Clemson Long Beach, I think it would have been just an opportunity to talk about those two programs more broadly. I mean, those are, two big college baseball brands that we just didn't get to either one in this series. So it felt like maybe that was an opportunity to do that. And I think more specifically Long Beach state because they are such a big brand in the nineties, early two thousands in college baseball. And to not have them represented felt like not our fault. Like we did what we could They're they're a, a team that definitely just doesn't have that many games out there on YouTube because trust me, I tried. They're just, their footprint isn't that big out there but it would have been nice to be able to talk about those long beach teams because all you have to do is look at some of the research that, that we've done at BA about what programs put players into pro baseball. And when you consider that, you know, long beach state doesn't have some of the lengthy track record of some of these other programs, they more than hold their own. I mean, in those early 2000s teams in particular were just absurdly talented. And so that was just a program that felt like we, we should have gone out of our way in a perfect world to talk about. And we just never really got, a good opportunity for that. It's also Long Beach is interesting to me because it, the cultural cachet is there. I mean, they really made the LB hat cool, like really cool. And I, I, growing up, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, I saw a ton of Long Beach state baseball hats. And, you know, some of that I think was, was baseball. And some of it is, you know, a guy like Snoop Dogg famously from Long Beach and, you know, he wore those hats. And so I think it's part of it there as well, but it's just a really big, it has a lot of cultural cachet for what was really a pretty narrow length of time that Long Beach State was at the top of the sport when you when you really look at the history of it, you know Dave Snow gets there and really gets that thing cooking immediately, quite literally immediately, and then you know it, it burned out fairly in terms of being a national title contending program. It burned out uh, fairly quickly in the grand scheme of things compared to some other programs that have had similar highs as to what long Beach state had. Um, I guess one more that this was not on either list, but one more just in terms of what programs would we'd like to talk about uh, uh, Wichita state feels like one uh, because they are an interesting story. And it's, I think a lot of the same things you talked about with John on the last podcast for, that I wasn't there for, which was fantastic, by the way, I, I recommend everyone go back and listen to it. A lot of the same themes about the way you talked about rice in their rise, I think would be pretty similar to Wichita state. You just turn the clock back 20, 25 years I think it was a similar story of well you know college baseball was just you know nobody was really trying yet and Gene Stevenson and Wichita State decided they wanted to try and voila and there's a lot more that goes into that of course but that was another if I could have found a good Wichita State game uh, for us to watch I think that would have been another another good one and if I just it was another another miss, uh, you know miss out there of, of a team that I would have liked to have had on at least one of these two lists.
0: One of the other ones that I that was on the list that I you know, kind of wanted to do, but we didn't do for reasons was the 2004 Fullerton uh, National Championship. We didn't do it because it felt like we had Fullerton pretty hard. You know, they the they did. They were the first one we did. They kept showing up in other games uh, and, and it just felt like, okay, we've done Fullerton. We've we've told, you know, there's plenty of stories to be told about Fullerton, and every era is different, and and all the rest of that. But uh, that that was something that held us back from doing the 2014. But that that's an interesting team. Obviously, what Jason Windsor did on the mound is is very interesting. Um, and just you know, them winning with George Horton at the helm, not Augie. Is interesting as well. So th- th- there's a lot there that we could have covered, but we didn't do it because um, you know that I felt a little Fullerton out um, at times during this. You know, they show up in the '92 one, uh, in addition to the, you know winning in in '95. Uh, we 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 did both of those. So that that was one uh, for for me. And then you know we also did. Consider going back to the 2018 Oregon State game two. That's you might remember that as the drop pop up. Um, that that would have been an interesting one if we uh, if we delved into it because there was a lot going on in that game. Of course, um, it is one of the fresher ones and probably one of the more remembered games of recent college baseball history. So, you know, I don't feel bad about doing some of the other. So that we did in that 2018 tournament and not getting to that one uh, just because I feel like you know like like we talked about while we were doing it I'd never watched Tennessee Tech against Ole Miss I was doing other things while that game was on what I was I was at another game and so I, I'd i never gone back and watched that you know I we, we all lived the the Oregon State over Arkansas you know drop pop-up um so it, it just was a little less interesting to me than some of the other ones that, that we did from that specific tournament. And then we kind of went through, like Joe and I would talk about this, but, you know, if you look at it from like the, the, the 2000s were kind of a lost decade for us. Joe just couldn't find that many games at, at that time that, that were on, you know, of course ESPN has continually been showing Oregon state over UNC in the in the College World Series, but you know there just weren't a whole lot of games in that decade, especially in the second, you know, a- after about 2004. From 2005 on, you know, we there there weren't a whole lot of games on Joe's list, and I don't think that was an accident. It's just kind of a, a missing time in terms of the the YouTube, you know, that we could find. I guess ESPN's also showing the 2008 one uh, with Fresno State a lot, but you know, outside of those. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's not that there aren't storylines. It's more just that, like, we didn't see much of an opportunity to to get into that window of college baseball history.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you're right. I I looked and looked hard because it's that. I mean, for me especially, if anything, if all things were equal, and just about any game I could have ever wanted was out there on YouTube to put on this list, I think in a perfect world, I would have probably over-indexed us on games from that period of time. because that's, I just
0: thought of this, but, you know, something from that time that I really wish we could have had is a Strasburg start.
1: Yep, no doubt about that. I mean, yeah, that's that's complicated, too, just because, you know, it's San Diego State. Yeah, it's good some, like Yeah, San it. Diego State, and, you know, he, he, you know, had some regional games, but those are back in the days when regionals weren't guaranteed to be on TV, and um, there was that one year his junior year when they were in a loaded regional. I'm trying to remember who else was involved
0: there. I believe Virginia, and I believe Virginia is, I I think they hosted, uh, I should pull this up, but I believe they hosted, and Virginia won that regional.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that's kind of my definitive Strasburg. So, yeah, games from that regional, I think, um, would have been. They did not host.
0: They were in Oxford, but yes, Virginia won, I was correct. Uh, Or not in Oxford, they were in Irvine. Irvine, Fresno, San Diego State, Virginia. Yeah,
1: and that was 09, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so part of that was like defending national champion Fresno State. So some of it was kind of probably more about the headline names versus like the actual, I mean, that's a tough region, don't get me wrong. But um, yeah, some of it was was maybe a little more just about the the headline names versus the reality of it being particularly difficult. But yeah, I mean, that would have been probably the 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 ones to have but like I was saying I think in a perfect world we probably would have been over indexed on these games because that was the period of time when I was really into college baseball I mean clearly I am now too but that was when I was first having my awakening as a college baseball fan was the early to mid 2000s and I would have loved to have had you know some games from those those years and I looked for certain teams um you know I looked for 2005 Tulane was a team I definitely looked for. A team was number one basically all the way through the year. Uh, and got to Omaha, I looked, looked for that. I looked for the, you know, 06, 08 Rice teams a little bit just because I was familiar with those. And, um, you know, the, so there were individual, individual teams I looked for in those years. And, you know, because sometimes you could search – by the team name. Sometimes you could search by like the regional or super regional name. Sometimes you just searched college world series and you saw where it it took you. So there were a lot of different strategies, but yeah, it was, it was weird that that was just kind of a hole. And I I guess part of it is that I think we actually talked about this on a previous episode when we were discussing, it was probably right after the second list got released, but I think there was um, I I think there's a period of time where things had kind of in the mid 2000s, things had mostly stopped being taped on vhs but things weren't yet being dvr'd in mass like they are now and so i think there was that little gap where you know a lot of the classic classic games we're looking at were probably copied over from vhs recordings when people were kind of habitually vhs recording things but it wasn't yet at a point where dvring like i know some people who just dvr basically anything they'd ever maybe want to watch and use that as their guide a little bit i mean people weren't doing that yet and so i don't know that's just like a little that's not a question really for me to tackle but that's that's my working theory on on part of why that is but for whatever reason it was disappointing to not get that a little more well represented and it's part of the reason i think we kept circling 05 baylor texas a little bit it's like it just kind of felt like a like a hole in terms of time period that we weren't quite able to to get filled
0: all right. So we talked about the teams that we, or games that we didn't get to. Now let's look at some of the stuff that we were able to glean from this exercise. You know, anytime we, we step back into history, like we, we spent a lot of time anytime we were into the nineties talking about just how much the game had changed, how differently coaches were, were managing in the world series um, environment You talked about how, especially in that 95 game, the starters were just given so much more rope than they would be today that they were, you know, the the hooks now come a lot quicker than than they were coming uh, back then. And, you know, we didn't watch any true guerrilla ball games, but we were starting to get into some of that uh, with with some of those games, and uh, you know it's it's obviously a much different version of baseball, and we did see some of the absolute dead ball games and and that's a much different version of of the baseball that we see and so i I just found it interesting to you know just in the last thirty years, just how much the game you know has flowed through these different eras. And a lot of it's been equipment driven or ballpark driven, uh, but it, it still it just very much shapes the game. And, and each game that you drop in on is kind of just like a perfect little time capsule in a lot of respects of, you know, what's going on in college baseball at the time. Is it offensive driven? Is it pitching driven? Have they, you know, managed to find an equilibrium and, you know, it was interesting to watch games over a relatively short time span, but to see how, how just how many iterations college baseball has gone through.
1: I totally agree. I think that was maybe my favorite big picture thing was just being able to flip on one of these games and be teleported to a specific time and place in college baseball's history. I think that that quite honestly was my favorite part of all of it. And I think it also led me to, it reminded me that we should be thankful that we have college baseball the way we have it now. Everyone's got different tastes. I get, I get that. So some of it's just an aesthetic preference, but I think we're pretty fortunate with the way college baseball works now in that we've got good balance. You know, the great the good pitchers pitch well and put up the numbers, the good hitters hit well and put up the numbers, and in previous iterations of college baseball whether that was 90s or early 2000s where You know, anybody could hit the ball out at any time, and pitching was extraordinarily difficult to the opposite we had in the early 2010s where, you know, you played your outfielders at half, half depth and dared anybody to burn you. Like, that was pretty awful. So we've really hit a pretty good balance in college baseball right now, and I don't really hear anybody complaining necessarily about the way the game is played these days, at least in terms of that type of stuff. And I think so. I think we're we're pretty fortunate that we have the sport as the way we have it now. And, and sure, there was some there was some pain along the way. And I say pain in just in terms of, I think we all realized very quickly in 2011 that, whoops, these <laughs> the game has tilted in the wrong direction. And you know we gave it some time to try to see if maybe over time it would normalize. And in some ways it did, but not to the extent that I think everyone was hoping it would. So we you know we made adjustments to the ball, and voila, we. We, we are where we are now, and I think that's a, a really good place for college baseball. And maybe that's a little bit of prisoner of the moment, and, and, you know, that's the college baseball I see now right in front of me, and that looks pretty good to me. But I'm pretty confident in saying that they we're fortunate to have the balance we have now in the sport where it feels like we're getting fair outcomes and fair results, and each aspect of the game is able to flourish, um, to flourish in, in, in a way that, that is commensurate with the talent that we see on the field.
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. That you know, if you're if you're just looking at it from you know the, the perspective of today's game, that yeah, what we have is a is a good product that that we're able to watch. That you know, it's not pitching heavy, it's not it's not hitting heavy. I mean, maybe there are going to be people that dispute that, but I, that is one of the remarkable things as we watch the big league games struggle with. It's baseball and you know, accusations about juiced baseballs, suddenly unjuiced baseballs and, and all the rest that you've seen happen in the big leagues over the last two years. Uh very much looking forward to those conversations again in a month. The you know, the college fixed its ball once and that was it. That they they made the change and it's been it's been pretty smooth sailing the last few years. Uh, in, in regards to that, so it, it, it you know that should be taken for granted, uh, you know, and I don't know how long this equilibrium is going to last for, but it is uh, it is a, a definite positive aspect of college baseball, you know, in the the last five six years, I would say that they've been able to to they they made a correction, they saw that it was an overcorrection or or that there were unintended consequences from the the change, and then they found a relatively minor tweak to make, and that you know, ushered in a, a new era that, that everyone seems to be pretty comfortable with the the balance between hitting and pitching. Um you know, Joe, I I know you also uh you know you're 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 a person that, that's pretty into the underdog story. And so we had several underdogs, you know, that, that we watched during this, this series, of course. Um, you know, one of your favorite games, the Manhattan game. Uh, but also just, you know, a program like Pepperdine or Rice winning a national title. And then there's this, like, weird space that Fullerton inhabits in which, you know, they are thought of as this, you know, college baseball power, but also this college baseball underdog. And but but the teams that we saw, you know, really just when they were when, when Fullerton is good, they're only that there's there's not a whole lot of underdogness about them, except that. Because it says Fullerton across their chests, they play a certain way, and and they're, you know, they're a certain kind of player, and that kind of leads to these underdog stories. Yeah, that was
1: really I hadn't really grappled with that. I, I don't think in, until the to your point, we had so much Fullerton coming at us in this series, and you're right in that we talked about doing the 04 game, and that game seemed interesting, but it was like well, we've had quite a bit of Fullerton and Fullerton influence in these games that we've that we've watched, but that's really, that's a really interesting point to me. And something i thought about a little bit is that because it's Fullerton, I think we look at them as, well, they're going to be a little undersized and, and two things can be true, right? So let me just say that up front, but they're a little bit undersized. They're going to be a little less prospecty than your average, maybe your average team that wins at the level that they do, of which there are few, by the way, historically. They're going to be. They're going to run every ball out. They're going to dive. They're going to. You know. They're just going to do every little thing they can to try to to, to eke out wins. And that's just a very much an attitude that program has. And I think it can be easy to look at them as like kind of uh, plucky underdogs, if you will. And maybe more in recent years, as not to open a different can of worms, but as the power centers in college baseball have shifted less from the West Coast and into the Southeast and into the programs that are in the big money conferences. Maybe that's more true of Fullerton now because they they are having to win that way more consistently. But you look at some of these teams of yesteryear and you're like, okay, they they definitely still did play that way. And like Ted Silva was not a guy that was up there throwing mid-90s fastballs and was destined for great things in the big leagues. Like he was a very, very stereotypical Fullerton pitcher uh, in, in a positive way and in terms of just what he wasn't. But then you look at the balance of those teams, though, and it's like, okay, plucky underdogs, but like Mark Katze is considered by a lot of people who know the game as perhaps the best college baseball player of all time. And Phil Nevin is an outstanding prospect in 92 and went on to a good big league career. And there are countless other examples if you go up and down Fullerton's history. So at, on the one hand, yes, they do kind of embody this underdog mentality, but on the other hand, like, we've had plenty of players, and because they kept popping up in, in our list as games we either watched or potential games to watch, it really hammered home that, like, no, this, this program was really cooking in, in the 80s and 90s, early 2000s in particular. I mean, was really, really cooking, and I think I had probably underestimated that a little bit, just in my, my understanding of what Fullerton was at that time.
0: Yeah, you know, we we've talked about this a fair amount during the series. Um, you know, just the the idea of underdogs, is it possible for a program like Rice to Rise Today or Pepperdine or, you know, you know, can can some of these underdog programs happen in today's environment? Having watched all of this, has your perception of that like changed at all? Or you do you miss, you know, do, do you wish that, you know, we had today? a team like Pepperdine going out and, and winning the national title that, that in Wichita, you know, within a four year span, it was Wichita two SEC schools and, and then Pepperdine, like, are, do, do you wish that something like that could, could be possible today?
1: Sure. But I think there's a couple of things there. I mean, one is that, you know, we just had coastal Carolina win a national title four years ago now and they're kind of interesting because they were really good for a while. There was a, they had a fairly long on-ramp just to get to Omaha and then they got to Omaha and won a national title just like that. So they're kind of in a unique space, but I think it's a similar, you know, I think, I think they, they kind of fit into those, those categories. Cause we talked about Pepperdine's past and Pepperdine maybe followed a similar trajectory to what Coastal had done in the postseason a lot and had some players and was well, a well-respected program. And they just kind of happened to, to get there and and put it all together one particular year. So I, I do think that type of thing. So I do wish we had more of that, but it hasn't been so long since we have had a little bit of that. But at the same time, I know that my brand is very much about the underdogs and the little guy and, and seeing these upsets. And I get the other part of it too, is that this maybe is not so much of a, a quirky trait is like, I also get bored easily. And like, I love seeing the team's, that are operating at the top of their, you know, at peak performance. But at the same time, like, okay, you know, I've I've seen this same group of players for three years now dominate the sport. Like I kind of, you know, I think one of the reasons I like college baseball is there is that kind of constant turnover. So there's always something new every year. In college sports, I think more broadly, that's why I like them is there's just not the sameness year to year. So that is going on as well for this. But at the same time though, I do, like that, our sport is in a place where everyone is trying and everyone is, is putting the effort forward. And very rarely do you have these, you know, there used to be, and there still is to some degree, but there were, it felt like there were all these sleeping giants in college baseball. And, you know, if you talk to, to people, they'll probably tell you there still are in this place or that place. And I think everyone's got a different opinion of what that means and who those teams are. But there are just a lot less of those now because. You, you roll the clock back and John could tell you, I'm sure you roll the clock back 15, 20 years and they could have given you, anybody who knew the sport could have given you a laundry list of places that, oh, if they, if they really committed to college baseball, they could win big. And there are just fewer of those places now. And I'd rather us be there because that means the sport is healthier. That means the sport is more talented. That means the sport is more competitive in terms of depth and breadth. So while I can lament the fact that we don't have You know, national title contending underdog programs from smaller conferences, I can't understand why that's better for our sport in the in the grand scheme of things. So that being said, though, I do think these things can kind of still happen. We've talked about this, like, you don't have to get that hot in the postseason to really make a Cinderella run. Um, you know, you just have to win a couple more games than you lose to get it done. And that's a hard, still a hard thing to do. I'm not minimizing that, but that can happen. And I'm also just a big believer in places maybe don't win until you find the right combination of factors and then you do win, whether that's the right coach, a transcendent player that kind of makes other players think about going to that school. Those things I think still can happen, even if they happen less. And I think that the fact that they can happen less in the big picture is, is good news for college baseball.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And um, in general, yeah, the, the, the Wichita and the Pepperdine and, and the Rice and, you know, that's all, it, it, like we've said, it's possible because at the time, less programs were as committed as they are today. And to be in a place where more programs are more committed is, is a positive you know, regardless of whether that just means that it's a little more power five hegemony and you know, whether that's positive or not, you know, that it, the fact that the big 10 is fully engaged again is, is a positive and that the SEC is in the big 12 or are, are totally engaged. And the ACC is totally engaged that, that this isn't just a, a Pac 12 and Texas sport, basically, you know, that it, it it's, evolved beyond that and that's a positive for everyone um, even if it makes the path to a national championship harder that that's definitely a positive. Um, I see you uh, you're also kind of thinking about what programs that we have today or, or in more recent years we might think of like we thought or like you look back at the the 2000 Cajuns or the 05 Tulane or even a, a you know at a Pepperdine. Um, are there any? You know, I, I I kind of wonder what the the Charleston teams that didn't make the the World Series, you know, especially in what was that 15 the the Texas Tech went for the first time? Uh, fourteen. Fourteen. Um, yeah. yeah. Like, what is that? what's the legacy of that team, you know, going to be? And honestly, even just the legacy of some of these Texas Tech teams, are we going to look back in, in 15 or so years and, and marvel at, at what Texas Tech was doing at this time? Or is it going to be regarded as like, oh, that was the start of like Texas Tech being like one of the big 12's clear powerhouses that, and that's just the way it is now.
1: Yeah. I, yeah that's an interesting concept. Cause when I think, about, so I wrote in the doc here, this is what, to give a peek behind the curtain, this is what Teddy is referring to is I, I I typed in just, I'm interested in the idea of what teams are we looking at now that maybe we haven't seen it yet that are going to be talked about the way we talked about the 2000 Cajuns or the, the 18 Tennessee Tech team. And those are two different things, by the way, like the 2000 Cajuns, like if they had just gotten to Omaha that one year and that was it, now that is the only time they've gotten to Omaha, but they had a nice run before and after that, and you know have have popped up more and more as time has gone on, they are clearly operating at at, a, at just a specific high level. Tennessee Tech here remains to be seen i mean they they had a lot of that team drafted Matt Braga leaves for rice they they haven't kept that momentum, and so I think it's much more likely that just ends up being a pop up i mean it already kind of just is a pop up thing, considering that they went right back you know to being um they went back to being a, a middle of the pack o b c team so that, that is clearly more of a pop-up thing so those are two different definitions but I am curious to see what teams we have that um, get talked about in those those same ways and I hadn't thought about a team like Texas Tech but you're but you're right is that you know we could be looking 10 12 years from now is that 14 team being the the start of, of Texas Tech being uh, you know one of just the hand. I mean you could already make the argument that they're on I don't know how short we want to make the list but however short you make the list Texas Tech is probably in the conversation among. The best teams, best programs, going right now, and they're still waiting on that first national title. But you, you just kind of wonder if once they, once they get one, if that's all it's really going to take for that thing to to really, I mean, already caught fire. About know what you for it to become a, an inferno, basically for them to win that first national. And there's a couple programs like that, by the way. Louisville is another one that's still waiting on a first national title, and it feels like they could go on a run once they they get the one. So I hadn't really thought about it from the from the big program standpoint, but that's interesting as well. I think about yeah.
0: I don't know who that is now. Like we didn't watch, and we didn't even talk about this. But uh, I don't know why you couldn't have given us a Nebraska in Omaha uh, game, Joe. Like (laughs) where where was the D.V.H. here in Nebraska? Because you know that kind of is potentially what you know Louisville's past that, and Tech's probably past that now. But that's that's an example of a power conference program that you know had this amazing peak. But it's also become very clear over the last two decades since Van Horn left for Arkansas that while Nebraska is capable of returning to that, that also can't be or shouldn't be the standard that they're just being measured off of, that that was a specific moment and it was an incredible moment, but it's not, it's not easily repeatable. Right.
1: Right. No, I think, that, I think that's exactly... Exactly right. I uh, clearly I failed us by not getting one of those Nebraska games on the, uh, on the. Uh, hey, on you the just list. said Nebraska
0: losing. Why do you hate Nebraska, Joe?
1: That's right. Yeah, let let, let the record show. I clearly, I clearly <laughs> hate Nebraska. Um, but yeah, I, I so I mean, there's some of the teams that that I, I'm I'm if um, we talked about them a little bit, I think last couple episodes ago, or maybe it was an awful. I don't know. I can't keep up, but I think about a team like. Dallas Baptist that fits into the, like, so clearly could have fit into the ULL mold if, when they got to a Super Regional against Cal, if they had gone instead of Cal. Because they would have had a similar ramp to ULL, where ULL wasn't, you know, it wasn't what they were leading up to that 2000 College World Series for 10 or 12 years. It was really a three, four, five, six year window. at at most, whereas Dallas Baptist, you know, got to a a regional as an independent in 08. And that was their their first go round in division one. And so if they had gotten Omaha, then they would have almost, almost completely followed that ULL path. And now like, don't be wrong, they're still operating at an extremely high level, but you know, and they hosted in 15. So it felt like, okay, still building, still building. And this is not, an attempt to denigrate that program in any way. I mean, they're a model of consistency. And I wrote about that in my my feature on the Missouri Valley conference last week, but they're kind of a program I'm, I'm itching to see get to Omaha cause I'm, my mind is trying to fit them into this box, you know, whether they're, are they coastal, but if they're coastal, they have to have success in Omaha. I mean, were they, were they, do we count them as kind of in the ULL mix because they, they just felt like a little bit short of Omaha. Will it be just be a one-off? Like I'm not, is it like a Kent state situation where Kent state was very, very good, got to Omaha one year. And then, you know, but I don't know. So like, they're just a, that's kind of the conversations and the thoughts I'm having about this and it's, I'm I'm rambling here just because there's, they're not necessarily easy buckets to put some of these teams in. And this is why I find it interesting to have these types of discussions or, or thoughts in my head about what these what these programs will become. So that's a really bad segue to lead you into whatever you're about to say next. But that's <laughs> basically <laughs> that's basically what I'm thinking about when I put on the doc that I mentioned to see what teams we talk about in that way. Because we, I just don't think we know what they are and the ones that we have a feeling we think we know what they are, like a Dallas Baptist, it's so hard to define what they are to give, to use the scouting term, it's hard to put a comp on them um, if they haven't really had that breakthrough just yet, even though I'm eager to do so.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's uh, it it's an interesting thought exercise, uh, you know, to, to try and, you know, just go down, down the future. I mean, you know, I, I saw it in Stuart Mandel's mailbag on the athletic this week, a reader noted that we are just as close to 2050 as we are to 1990 and i mean first of all let that one sink in but to think about like what program you know wichita won in 89 pepperdine won in 92 like think about what what we think about them today what programs are around today that we're going to be thinking about like that in, in 2050 it's an interesting thought exercise um no easy answers obviously the the Picking out which teams end up being the ones that that stay with us, uh, it, it's not easy. It's hard to say why sometimes the, these teams do stick with us uh, the the way that they do. You know, I, I feel like I hear Stony Brook mentioned a lot more than I hear Kent State mentioned, and I think some of that is just because they happen to beat LSU and to get to Omaha, and Kent State happened to beat Oregon to get to to Omaha, um, or maybe it's just as a Clevelander, um, anytime I hear Stony Brook, I'm like, well, why aren't you also mentioning Kent State? But, uh, you know, a, a, every, every team that, that does stay with you does it for a reason. So who in, in recent history are we going to be still thinking about 20 to 30 years from now is is a, always an interesting place to go to.
1: I mean, you're, you're also right that the near misses, uh, just quickly here, the, the near misses are interesting because um, – and and in order to be classified as a near miss, you have to be confident also that, like, well, that window is closed. Like, so, like, Dallas Baptist not getting to Omaha, I don't classify this way because they still very in any given year can get to Omaha, right? Like, that's a plausible thing. But the College of Charleston one, like, that window closed. Now they're playing well under Chad Holbrook, and, and you know, with his pedigree, that, that seems plausible. They could do that again, but they have to prove it to us. So I think of some other teams like this, like you mentioned one with – I guess maybe I wouldn't classify this as window being closed necessarily, but San Diego state was Strasburg. You know, they had Strasburg, they had some good teams, didn't really have that breakthrough moment even to a, a super regional. And I think the other one that hits close to home there is San Diego where you had Chris Bryant. And then several years before that, they hosted a regional, they had like a three or four year run where they were really the hot mid major team in college baseball. And you look at some of the assistants they've had there and you can see a lot of the reason why they, they, I mean, these guys, uh, you know, Rich Hill has an eye for bringing in assistant coaches and, you know, had a lot of guys who have gone on to uh, be successful in some, some other places, Eric Valenzuela and uh, Jay Johnson, guys like that. And so you can see where that success came from, but there really was a a moment in time where USD was the hottest mid-major thing going and they just never put it together in the postseason and, and got it done. And they had an all-time player in Chris Bryan and, and, you know, couldn't parlay that in a postseason success. And now it really does feel like like that window closed without them really striking when the iron was hot there. So I think you're, when you brought up the Charleston example, I think that does kind of show that sometimes those near misses are just as interesting as the ones that we look back on in the way that we look back on, you know, 2000, ULL, and all the others.
0: All right, so we also wanted to briefly touch on just some of the great things uh, about college like some of the things that we saw in this broadcast that are just no longer a part of the culture or the college baseball culture. Um, you know we we've talked about some of these uh, as they came up, but you know there's there used to be uh, like a, a post office window in Rosenblatt so that you could get you know, the, the postmark be the College World Series, be Rosenblatt. Uh, obviously, <laughs> Rosenblatt itself uh, also is, uh, you know, we've moved on from that. But the, the post office and, and getting in your stamp canceled in the stadium, you cannot do that at TD Ameritrade. You can do a lot of things at TD Ameritrade. That is not something you can do at TD Ameritrade Park.
1: Yeah, here in 2020, we're closer to the postal service closing down than we are to having a <laughs> post office anywhere in a novelty location like the College World Series. Yeah, that was a that was a, definitely one that <laughs> when they, when they I guess was that the '95 It was like the first game, wasn't it? The '95 game where they. had I that.
0: feel like it wasn't the first one. I think that was '94. Okay.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it was right in that time period. But yeah, I remember I looked up and was like, "What?" When they were doing that kind of remote piece with the sideline reporter there that was uh <laughs> that one made me made me laugh a couple of others were I think it was also in that 94 game one of the Oklahoma hitters and I don't remember don't remember who it was specifically but one of the Oklahoma hitters wore his baseball cap under his helmet which I think is a I mean it's definitely something I remember in little league where I had I never did it so it just didn't feel comfortable to me but I had teammates who 100% wore their hats under their helmets because they were like, yeah, it's just easier. I can take my helmet yeah, off. Well, and, still and they hat. thought it was
0: more comfortable usually because like the helmet didn't quite fit right. Or well, sure, like, yeah, it yeah. wasn't provide like the helmet didn't have enough cushion. So you're looking for a little more cushion. I was never one of the, like, I, I didn't really, I, I was with you, Joe. I wasn't really on that train, but I wasn't on that train because I thought it looked dumb. Like I could tell it looked dumb. like just put your helmet on. But you're right yeah. back then, you know, that was, it was a thing that happened.
1: It was a thing for sure. Yeah. I I just never, never could quite. Now I'm thinking maybe it was a USC player. I don't know, but there was one of those early or the mid nineties games we watched definitely had a guy wearing a baseball cap under a helmet, which I, I perceive as being a very, very nineties thing. One, on a more serious note uh, one thing that I definitely noticed a difference in is in the post game interviews with these players noticing that uh, the players really do seem like kids in a way and in a way that they don't now. And I don't, that's not a bad thing. I think it's important as college baseball gets more popular and as college baseball becomes uh, more closely coupled with major league baseball and uh, all of that, I think it's important that we really prepare the players to deal with the media and to deal with what that's going to be like. I think it's part of their education. And, you know, we've had some coaches uh, that we've had on this podcast talk about some of the pieces of, of the, in the educational process that aren't necessarily in a classroom or even baseball-related, but something like media training. And so you hear these kids talk now. I mean, freshmen get to campus even before they've gotten to college; they are very well versed in in media trained and in you know how you deal with the media and the type of answers you give and you know being poised and, and well-spoken. And these are smart kids. I'm not surprised about the the poised and well-spoken part. But you'd see these post-game interviews, these kids in these games in the '90s, and they really are still just kids, and you can tell they haven't had a ton of that. And now, you know, every one of these kids that goes to these programs that plays in the college world series is very used to dealing with the media and like, they've got it down pat by the time they get to the college world series. And that's something that struck me that is very different in today's college baseball versus
0: 30 years ago. Yeah. I, and I just thought the, you know, the nature of those trophy presentations and, and sideline interviews in the world series was, was just very much different. You know, I get that some of it is that they, probably rushed the trophy presentation along because that's what cbs wanted cbs just wanted to get the trophy presentation and done so they could finish their airing of the the game and and move on to whatever else whereas espn is you know and we not not only espn but everyone has evolved to like okay like you wait for a trophy presentation there's a there's a process to this but back then it was basically just like, a oh, final out, maybe there was a handshake line. I don't not even sure about that. Uh dogpiles over somebody is just handing them the trophy, whereas today it's like this whole big production, which honestly is probably better. Um, you know, they make sure that the losing team gets their medal uh, you know, in their moment on the stage before the, the whole thing goes off. But uh it, it just seemed... Very fat. Anytime one of these championship games ended. It was like, oh, so we're done now, and like the the broadcast is over, like just like that. And like they've already talked to to Augie, um, or or whoever the coach is, Larry Cashel. Um, it, it was it was a much uh just quicker production once the the whole thing ended, uh, than than what we're used to today. Yeah,
1: never was it more obvious that we're in a different media landscape in college baseball than, than one of those, one of those games from the nineties where the game ended and then there was like a commercial break. They came back, did the post game. And then it was like, and now we're going to take you to LPGA tour action. And that was just it. Like, it was, I mean, that just now to your point, now the post game stuff is just content for ESPN. You know, I mean, they like, it's a whole, Uh, I don't know exactly how they have it works now, but I I definitely remember in previous College World Series where, you know, they stuck with the primary broadcast for a little bit, you know, a couple extra segments, but then you could, like, go on to what they then called ESPN3 and then watch, like, an extended trophy presentation.
0: I think that's basically how it's working now. That I think, again, I mean, I'm not watching this on TV these days, but I think what happens is game ends – Chris Budden does the sideline interview, broadcast ends, they pick it up on ESPN Plus, they go to Sports Center and then when it's time to give the trophy presentation, I think they come back live during Sports Center to Omaha. That's how I think that goes down. Yeah, just a different different deal different time everyone who's listening to this right now is like yelling at their phone that, that i am so wrong about how espn finishes their college world series broadcast these days but i'm pretty sure that's how it works
1: i mean that's are you talking about mike rooney like is he the one yelling he's probably the one yelling
0: no because is in omaha still he
1: would he would uh well yeah i guess it's true you, you don't think he knows how it works
0: uh he knows he knows yeah he's like preparing to text me right now
1: yeah yeah, if you can only hear, he'll have to wait. He'll have to wait until this gets posted.
0: Yeah, so I we, uh, we had fun doing this. I also just thought, I, I want to get this one in. Um, since we were just talking about Georgia Tech, it reminded me again, why were there no Matt Weiders games, Joe? Like, I, people talk about Matt Weiders in college at this reverential level, like kind of at the level of Veritech, and it was really fun watching Veritech. So it would have been, I think, really cool to see Matt Weiders. And, again, that's just kind of a function of, like, they – You know, Omaha and Georgia Tech, just and and Matt Weiders, all just kind of what didn't match, didn't mesh up quite right. And then, I mean, we'd still be at the, you know, at mercy of of everyone putting the game in a place we could see it. But that would have been another fun one to uh, to get to see with just Matt Weiders catching the game and then Matt Weiders closing the game.
1: Yeah, we uh, or like the the rare Buster Posey pitching uh yes. you know pitching appearances you know he had he had he was extremely effective in a very small number of appearances but yeah i i um if i had been thinking maybe i would have put to for that for this podcast we would have done an extra segment where i literally just tried to write out all or most of the individual teams i searched for just to try to find <laughs> stuff and came up empty because they're i mean it, we may not have had time to touch on them all. And it's kind of funny, like, I think that the best part about that would be that there are some very obvious candidates that I typed in there that I just could not find. And then there are also some where you've been like, why on earth were you looking for this, you know, for this particular team? Like, it just doesn't, you know, but my interests are wide and varied. And typically, for the really great teams, I was just searching for anything. But there were some examples of, a specific team I searched for where I was looking for one specific thing. Like I actually did search for, and by the way, I think I saw on Twitter that this game has actually been posted as, as a thing that the PAC 12 network is doing for free. I don't think you have to be a subscriber. I think they were just putting it out there, but I searched for 2016 Utah because like, it would have been cool to see, you know, that, that is such a weird blip in history, Utah winning the 2016 PAC 12 title and finishing under 500 overall, or maybe just over 500. More, I think they finished 26 and 29 or 29 and 26, one of the two. And that's such a weird moment in time. And I remember that series they played Washington for the Pac-12 title, and seeing that clinching game I think would have been interesting. So I, I did search for that's an example of one where I was looking for something like I did not want just a random March game for the 2016 Utah team. So there were um, there were sometimes I was looking for something very specific. Somewhere I was looking for just a really anything I could I could get, but um, it would have been Maybe I'll try to find a way and go back and look at my entire YouTube history from this because I, I think out of the roughly 300 Division One teams we have in there, I'm fairly confident I typed specific teams, at least 120 specific teams into the search bar at some point.
0: Yeah, that would be entertaining. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we had fun doing this. Hopefully you guys had fun listening. Uh, if you have... More ideas uh, for games that we can rewatch again. We're we're ending the series here, but I'm not ruling out the idea that we might roll this back out for a month in the fall or sometime next year. You know, who knows? Uh, but we uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna call it quits here. But that doesn't mean Joe is done compiling classic games. He can stock his uh, his, his DVR YouTube queue with uh for for the future so uh, if you have any of those we're interested in in seeing them and with the link you know we're not again it's it's one thing to say like i want to watch a steven strasburg start it's another thing to be able to do it um you know so we're we're always on the lookout for for things like that if you guys have them we uh we're probably going to continue podcasting twice a week. We're not quite sure right now what that all is going to look like uh, for the rest of the summer. Um, we will definitely be back here next week on Tuesday with another of our newsy editions of the baseball America college podcast. We'll, we'll see if we uh, you know can keep this, this rhythm of, of twice a week going. I actually was, when I was scrolling through the YouTube or the, the iTunes history, of of the podcast, so I could make sure we got all of the. I, I had the full list of the the podcasts we did during this series. I came across our, the one that Joe and I did the day after they canceled the College World Series, and I was curious, so I listened to a lot of it. And I, back then I said, like, I don't think we're going to be podcasting twice a week during the spring. I think we're going to have to cut down to one a week. And well, that didn't last very long. So you know, we'll uh, we'll see where we go from here. Uh, but we'll certainly be podcasting at least once a week, the rest of the summer. And I don't want to rule out the idea that we continue it twice a week, but again, our our classic series, you can find the, uh, the archives on your favorite podcasting app, be that iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to podcasts, you can find the baseball America podcast. And while you're there, please subscribe, please rate, please review doing any of those things really helps us and, and helps the podcast. and, You know, helps helps it to to grow and and find new new listeners as well. So we really appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. And you can check out all of our work at BaseballAmerica.com. There's plenty there to uh, get you through this extended offseason. Joe, before before I sign us off, is there? Do you have any parting words for the the people uh, upon the conclusion? Uh, of this uh this series public
1: service announcement those lists are limited to games that i could find on youtube
0: <laughs> it's a very cannot, important
1: one <laughs> i cannot make games appear out of thin air no matter how hard i have tried and believe me i have tried and also thank you for uh listening and reading
0: and if you have any uh like old vcr tapes sit in your office from like 1996 the college world series or 2004 uh you know you feel like throwing them up on youtube like we're uh, we're here for that look i mean here here's the other that. thing
1: too like i so i will not divulge what games they are but i have come across um in various ways uh you know you can put a youtube video up and make it uh secret private and uh, I've got a couple of those and I'm clearly, I'm not going to put them on a list because that would betray the trust of the people who set them as private links. And also there's a reason they set them as private links and uh, they don't want them to get taken down. And it's really just for their own personal use or for a small group of people, what have you. So, uh, look, if you're just feeling giving and you've got some of these games out there and you have private links out there, feel free to send them our way. We would, uh, certainly they would be nice source material for us. And, uh, you know, we talk about them on the show or what have you, if they come up, but, uh, I promise your your trust will not be betrayed with with the links getting sent out. But I I, I do have some of those out there, and if you're if you have those out there, then uh, you know where to you know where to find us.
0: Whether well, you guys have it, and remember, Joe is at Twitter at Joe Healy BA. So we'll see you guys uh, next week here on the Baseball America College Podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank all of the coaches, former players, everyone that joined us as guests throughout the spring. Uh we had fun taking taking these trips down down memory lane and hopefully all of you did as well. So thank you guys again. For Joe Healy, I'm Teddy Cahill. We'll see you next week on the Baseball America College podcast.